Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, the Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Sounds of Blackness. Hold on just a little longer because everything is going to be all right. Yeah, just have faith. And um, I just, oh man, I just discovered that song. Mm, maybe I heard it before when I was in Hampton, Virginia for the um the Days of Healing uh August the weekend of August twenty fifth, um, when um they performed that Saturday, I think that was the twenty fourth, um, in a free concert, um, that was a part of the sixteen, nineteen, two thousand nineteen, four hundred years of, of African American history. And uh, and they performed, and 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 Common came on afterwards, and and it was just like, oh my goodness, I missed, I think I missed like three acts before them, but I'm so happy I didn't miss them. And I think I think they actually did the uh, that particular um, rendition of the piece, but then they've got another rendition that's um, got full orchestration and it's like oh my goodness this is really bumping so anyway um yeah so i've been like listening to other versions of it but it just makes you feel so good such a great such a wonderful um wonderful wonderful song to wake up to i'm sure and uh so today we're going to actually be rebroadcasting a special uh broadcast that we did last um last Thursday, and we featured Shaka Jamal, Jamal talking about Roots 2000, uh, it's a group that's coming in from South Africa, I think maybe next week or the week after, and if you want to book them, they have some space in their schedule. And then we also speak to um, the director, artistic director and, and co-director of Gritty City Theater about Black Salt, which closed last week, but they have other things coming up. It was a really phenomenal production. So um, so those are the two um, interviews we have this morning. But I wanted to remind folks that um, the 30th Annual African American Celebration Through Poetry is tomorrow, Saturday, July. Ooh, not July. Whoa, am I in July already? Oh, no, can't be in July. It is February. <laughs> February 1st, and it's Langston Hughes' birthday. And um, and it's at the West Oakland Library from 1 to 4. It's a free event, and you can just come and have some free refreshments and just enjoy some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful poetry. And I thought maybe I could share with you uh, the program because I started this program and I host it, so I know who's going to be um, on it. And our... Um, our theme for this year is 400 years of African-American history uh, as relates to California and California's African-American pioneers. And so um, so I have a poem I just wrote yesterday, and I've been fine-tuning it all night. Uh, it's called Libations, 1990 to 2020. And, uh, and then Andre Lamont Wilson, he's so awesome. He's got a poem and a story. The poem is called This Plot, and and the story is called Ghost. Nicia DeLovely is going to uh, do the apology, and she's going to sing a song. Hold on, change is coming. Not the one I just played you, though. Anne-Marie Davis is going to be doing one of my favorite pieces, Ourselves Walking, and we digress. Really beautiful work. Avacha 
is, um, you know, the famous Avacha radio DJ, musician, poet extraordinaire, um, blues aficionado. She's going to be um, uh, sharing a piece that I asked her to write about because she goes back to the beginning of the fest of the uh, program. So I wanted her to reflect on some of our poets that have made their transitions and are no longer with us. And so her piece is called Remembering the Unsung Genius of Joy Holland and Other Bricks in the Foundation of the Celebration of African-American Poets and Their Poetry. And then the next piece she's going to read is called Matter Is. Um, and we were always a part of it. And then uh, Soundly Metaphysical. Um, and then Damu uh, Sudi Ali, whom you've heard on the air um, before, because he's also a musician, a fine pianist um, and and composer. He has three pieces, Song of Somalia, Naomi, My Pleasantness, Pleasantness, and Revenge. And then Aquila M. Lewis, whom you've heard on my show before, she's got a tribute to Melvin Dixon, wonderful man, um, and and then she's got two other pieces, Honoring You and All Power to the People. And they, uh and then we have um a couple of poets that are that are not gonna be physically able to make it to the event, but they sent work and we're gonna share with the audience for them. And these, these poets are um are behind bars, yeah, so they really can't get to us. So I'm really happy that they're able to participate. They're actually in Southern California. And so one of the poets is Eric W. Davis, and his Muslim name is Sami A. Mateen. And he's got a beautiful piece called Keep on Living, and it's an encouragement to people who might be wanting to end their lives. He was thinking about those sort of the epidemic of suicides in the women's prison, CIW, which is also in Southern California. And then he's got another one that's really beautiful called Little Brother. It sort of looks at the role that big brothers play in little brothers' lives and, as role models. And Steve McCutcheon, wonderful artist, wonderful poet, um, uh, part of the Black Panther Party. He, um, yeah, he was a part of the Oakland Community School, and uh, he uh, is doing a piece called "The Price of Yesterday," and it's for Mumia Abu Jamal. And uh, and Steve also mentioned that there. There's going to be a special um, talk and presentation uh, as a part of the DeYoung Museum's um, hosting of this wonderful exhibit, Soul of a Movement. So if you go online and look at the schedule, you can see when that particular discussion or forum is going to happen. And the exhibit is through March, and I highly recommend you go more than once. And there are community days and um so you don't have to pay to um to uh, to go to the um get to, for admission into the museum and then the uh, exhibit is an extra fee so you know check those community days there there're going to be quite a few more i believe um so just check and see um and then Douglas uh, Katabatsi Coleman he's going to do a, a piece called I want to write a poem and he's going to introduce it with um, an excerpt of a speech that Frederick Douglass gave when he was coming back to the United States from 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 England. Uh, Von Boltner has a beautiful, beautiful piece called "Remember Me." Oh my goodness, it's epic! 
I mean, you think, wow, how is he remembering all of this? It's like it sort of takes you through the history of our our people going back to Kemet and coming forward into the diaspora. It's really awesome. Carla Brundage, whom you've heard before, um, my good friend Carla, she's going to be doing her piece, which is so wonderful. I just love it. America, I am leaving you. And another, the revolution will be televised as opposed to Gil Scott Heron says it will not be televised. And then she said she might do another poem um, about um, black women's bodies. And then Charles Curtis Blackwell, who's been on my show lots of times, talking about Dr. King and talking about about the film that is about him. He's he, you know he's the subject of this film. Uh, he's been on talking about his art. I mean, Charles is just like phenomenal. And this piece is called Ambience of the East Transplanted in Oakland. So that should be interesting. Um, and uh, and I didn't mention we're actually um, we got a grant from the city of Oakland and we're going to be pulling together an anthology so you'll be able to like have this book to put on your shelf and read to yourself um, you know some of your favorites so come to the poetry celebration and then these poems hopefully everyone will say yes will also be in the book Jean Howell Jr. is going to be doing a piece called Setting a Black Table. Isn't that great setting a black table? How do you set a black table, right? Well, you will learn. <laughs> Gene sets a very good table. He's the one that always makes sure that we're all, you know, our our refreshment area looks looks really inviting. Um, uh, Makita Essie uh, is back from Ghana. She's visiting us um, from Ghana um, uh, maybe another few weeks. And so she's going to be doing this really fun piece called The Night Before Christmas. And in the midnight hour, which is really funny. Uh, C Note Hooker, another one of our our guest presenters who is not going to be able to make it. Um, C Note is a visual artist, a playwright, a rap artist, and a poet too. He's just like has mastery of all of the genres. And um, and his piece is called Journey to. African Futurism. It's a really wonderful piece. And he has participated in the Poetry Celebration before. He was going to participate last year, and I forgot to include him. He did send me work, but I forgot to include But I'm going to put it in the book. Um, Hassan Ali Jones Bay is going to do some music, an interpretation of Thomas A. Dorsey, a Thomas A. Dorsey song. I'm not sure which one. And maybe we might have something for Tracy Coates. So we're going to... Um, we're going to close with um, a piece by Langston Hughes called Let America Be America Again. And I don't know if you remember that one, but I'm going to share that with you now, just give you a little teaser. Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on the plane seeking a home where he himself is free. America was never America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be the great strong land of love where never kings connive or tyrants scheme that any man be crushed by one above. It was never America to me. Oh, let my, hand, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath. But opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe. There has never been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark 
And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of doggy dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of strength and hope, tangled in that ancient endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need, of work the men or take the pay, of owning everything for one's own greed. I am the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I am the worker sold to the machine. I am the Negro, servant to you all. I am the people, humble, hungry, mean. Hungry yet today, despite the dream. Beaten yet today. Oh, pioneers, I am the man who never got ahead. The poorest worker bartered through the years. Yet, I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream in the old world while still a serf of kings, who dreamt a song, who dreamt a dream so strong, so brave, so true, that even yet its mighty daring sings in every brick and stone, in every furrow turned, that made America the land it has become. Oh, I'm the man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home. For I'm the one who left dark Ireland's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lay. And torn from black Africa's strand, I came to build a homeland of the free. The free? Who says the free? Not me. Surely not me. The millions on relief today, the millions shot down when we strike, the millions who have nothing for our pay, for all the dreams we've dreamed for all the songs we've sung for all and all the hopes we've held and all the flags we've hung the millions who have nothing for our pay except the dream that that's almost dead today oh let america be america again the land that never has been yet and yet must be the land where every man is free the land that's mine the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me, who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain must bring back our mighty dream again. Sure, call me any ugly name you choose. The steel of freedom doesn't stain. From those who live like leeches on the people's lives, we must take back our land again, America. Oh, yes, I say it plain, America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be, out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies, we, the people, must redeem the land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains, and the endless plain, all, all the stretch of these great green states and make America again. Wasn't that beautiful? Yeah, I wonder when he wrote this because it's so timely. Um, yeah, but it's gosh, it's so beautiful. So, um, so anyway, that's the program, and it's going to be simply phenomenal. And uh, yeah, oh, and I want to let folks know that um, 
uh, Skip the Needle is going to be at the Ivy Room tonight, tomorrow with, um, uh, gosh, what's the name of that group? Um, oh, man, I just had it in my mind. I'm like, okay. Um, oh, gosh, I almost had it, and then I lost it that quickly. Um, Ivy Room, I'm going to look it up really quick. It's going to be the bomb show, and it's not even that expensive either. It's like, whoa. Um, the Brown Fellinis. Yeah, the Brown Fellinis are going to be with the Skip the Needle tonight, 8.30. Oh, the Skip the Needle's just tonight. Brown Fellinis are all by themselves tomorrow. Oh, wow. And then they're having a dance party, Unleash, on Sunday. That's that's at 3 o'clock. That sounds fun. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Well, tonight is the night then. Um, Skip the Needle, they are so phenomenal Oh my goodness, I wish I had some music for you to better listen to But um, next time Yeah, they are really awesome Gosh, yeah And uh, and then at um, um, Freight and Salvage tonight That's going to be really awesome um, They're going to have um, uh, Really famous blues artists performing Booker T. Jones, he's got a new book out too He's going to be performing That's 8 o'clock So, and that's only one night um <laughs> uh Ranky Tanky, you know, the Grammy Grammy Award winners, um, they were there um was it yesterday? Gosh, my days are running together. Um they were really awesome and um and I am like so so pooped. <laughs> uh, because I've been like burning it on both ends. But um they were really, really good and I highly recommend their Grammy Grammy Award winning uh, CD And um, Yeah it was really good and I'm just rambling I must be heck of sleepy and tired So let me let you listen to this wonderful Wonderful interview with um, With Shaka And uh, and definitely Oh and then definitely you know you want to try to like Hopefully you know When um, uh, Roots 2000 get here There will be um, some public Programs that you can participate In because Oh man, I'm gonna play a song when I'm talking, you know, a song during our conversation that's gonna make you say, "Ooh, I totally want to see these folks." So anyway, and then there's a film that's a part of the program too, so it's gonna be really nice. Shaka tells us all about it, and then it's really great, you know, talking to um, uh, Lindsay and um, um, and the uh, assistant director. The reason why I'm not calling his name is because I don't remember it. Um, but we will, you will know it um, when I introduce him on the show because he is a really phenomenal writer. I mean, really, really phenomenal. And uh, yeah, and if you all missed the um, the um, the uh, Bernard Tilson uh, play playlist last Friday, oh my, you really missed it. It was so good. Oh man, that's a send off. That's a really one. It was a wonderful send off to a man who has really touched a lot of lives, you know, doing some good work, you know, in his role as, um, uh, you know, sort of the CEO of, I think, one of the biggest HMOs on the planet, Kaiser Permanente. So anyway, it was really, really good. And it's sort of cool, you know, sort of that concert, you know, sort of after the In the Name of Love concert, which was also wonderful. It's like, oh, my goodness. So, anyway, some great great music, and I know 
February is going to just be so packed with so much goodness that you won't you won't you can't go wrong. You can turn right and go there and it'll be great. You can turn left and you can go somewhere else and it'll be great. Um and don't forget the Art of the African Diaspora um open studios are coming up but they have like satellite exhibits all over the place. And um yeah, I'm going to be in a couple and um and trying to think, where am I going to be at? I'm going to be in about, I'm in three. I've, I've got something at the Richmond Art Center, and I'm going to have something in two other places. So um, so check back later, and I can tell you where. <laughs> so you can come buy some of this art. Yeah, so anyway, it's just going to be so full and so wonderful. And uh, so enjoy this interview with um, with my guests. And I look forward to uh, a live show on Wednesday. Um, I think it's Wednesday is... Um, February 5th, I think, uh, or it might be 6th. I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, so you figure it out. But anyway, next Wednesday, you take good care. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to Wanda's Ticks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Aishu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And we are so excited to have Shaka Jamal joining us, um, having this yes, special yes. broadcast. <laughs> and and yes, I really thanks. like it. Um, Yes, really great always to hear from you. Um, you're going to be talking to us about the uh, the Black History Month cultural exchange featuring South African artist Roots 2000. Um, and, yes. and who are Roots 2000? Roots 2000 uh, are a duo consisting of Nkolisi Lakwe and Ndiko Lele Mbali, who are from the Eastern Cape. You know, that's the, the land where Nelson Mandela comes from. And mm. um, they met around the year 2000 in Johannesburg uh, as they were leaving the Eastern Cape, coming to the City of Gold to fulfill their dreams um, to be musicians. And uh, they play guitar, harmonica, and they sing a, a style that they've coined um, Afro Soul, which um, mm. they are the South African pioneers of. Nice, yeah. You had an opportunity 
to watch some of your wonderful videos of them performing. Everybody was so excited after the concert ended. People were still singing. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was a, a recent um, performance that uh, we did in Mozambique at a something called the Mozambique Music Meeting, where they bring in booking agents, festival runners from all over Africa and Europe, and artists get a chance to perform right in front of them. And the crowd mm. sang the song, which is the song Aya Africa, which is our new single that we're um, going to be dropping, hopefully in all digital outlets within the next two to three weeks. And you can also find it right now. You can download it for free at roots2000music.com. And they actually sang the chorus of the song for about four or five minutes after they got off the stage. So sure it was an <laughs> encore. It was an encore. It was an encore that continued well after the show into the hallways mm-hmm. of the venue. So, yeah, that was a beautiful moment. I was glad we were able to capture that on on, uh, on video. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And, and you're um, a culturally innovative artist and filmmaker from Oakland, California, and your experience as filmmaker, director, cinematographer, editor, writer, performing artist, and music producer – bring a distinctive and invaluable perspective to any venture. Um, You search for stories that reveal the unseen scars of everyday people and strive to reveal how that pain is transformed into a motivating force in their lives. Uh, You search for stories of unification rather than division, yet still allow room for the bitterness of hardship to resonate as a beautiful truth. Uh, You're a graduate of Tuskegee University. (laughs) <laughs> yes, you're yes. Uh, you're uh, what you. you call a legacy student, right? Like your mother and your father, and maybe other ancestors. My my, uh, my, 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 my mother went, and uh, cousins, and yeah, mm-hmm. definitely a legacy. Right, that's so cool. Yeah, because that's that's Booker T. Washington and um, George Washington Carver. George Washington. Whoa. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had yeah, a chance they, to visit left. Tuskegee. Mm-hmm. And Tuskegee Airmen. Yes, you know it's a it's a serious legacy down there. When you step onto the grounds of that university, you can feel it. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And so yeah, and and there at Tuskegee, you earned a BA in history, and you received a yes. Master's of Fine Arts in Cinema at San Francisco State University. Uh, your passion yes. is working with youth at grassroots level, guiding them on expressive paths of self-realization through media, through multimedia, and indigenous wisdom. Uh, let's see. Um, you also um, received, um, let's see, oh, no, wait a second. Um, you are the first filmmaker from Oakland, California, to receive the Game Changers Fellowship, which led you to premiere a series of short documentaries in New York at Harlem's. Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, and your work has premiered yes. both nationally and internationally on television and numerous film festivals. And your website is olu8.com. So tell us about mm-hmm. um, how, because I, I think your tagline was something about bringing humanity through the arts or something like that. Anyway, sort of Dr. Wade Nobles talks about how it's all about being human, right? And that's one thing that people of African descent, African people, have remained human despite, you know, all of these different historic um, tributaries that 
we've gone through spiritually. So I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, sort of your art making, particularly, you know, around the um, visual arts and, 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 and the consistency around, you know, the beauty that comes through the art, you know, that you make of our people. Yes, you know, that, that tagline, um, you know, powering humanity through film. Mm-hmm, my, yeah. my, my goal is really for us to be able to see ourselves through the film, right? Mm-hmm. Or even for me to see aspects of myself within the film with, with all of my uh, flaws, but with all of my greatness also. And I, I want that to be seen by the audience also so that they are inspired by what they see, by what they hear, but it also becomes humbling to, to know that we are all human. We all make mistakes, but we all have the opportunity to get back up and to do it again even even greater. And a lot of my work um, has dealt with revealing these stories of people from Oakland, like the particular fellowship with Game Changers. Part of the fellowship was to tell stories about black men in Oakland that aren't recognized by mainstream media and society. And um, that actually led to being screened at, at the Schomburg. And for me, as a person who's raised in Oakland since I was in elementary school, it even opened up my eyes. I said, oh, these are people out here doing this work? Like, I thought I knew Oakland. But I was actually able to walk through doors that I didn't even know existed and see the impact that these black men were making here in Oakland. One of them was actually um, 1968 gold medal Olympian Tommy Smith, you know, the brother who put his fist up along with John Carlos at the Mm -hmm. Mexico Olympics, who actually has a program here in Oakland that teaches kids track and field, teaches them how to empower themselves, right at McClyman's High School, and I didn't even know about it. Got a chance to meet that that legendary man and have an interview with him. Uh, another one was about um, Reginald Savage, who's the the chair of the yeah. dance department at o- Oakland School of the Arts, right? Who's doing some mm-hmm. some beautiful work over there. And uh, also, one was one of the acrobatic dunkers for the Warriors, uh, Jesus mm-hmm. L. And uh, the free classes, acrobatic classes he's giving to young young people here in Oakland, you know, as he pursues his own dream. So that that you know, stories like that, where you can say, I didn't even know that existed. You know, that those are the type of stories that I'm looking for um, that can bring inspiration to our people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so how how did you happen to um uh, meet these brothers, um, these these artists in in South Africa, and and it's really oh. interesting. Um, the IA Africa Roots 2000 um, logo is Africa turned upside down, and that's really interesting. It looks it's pretty cool, and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know these artists and and this logo. <laughs> And um, uh, and the music and, and, and this tour, which I'm really excited about. Well, 
it's a, it's a great story. I, I was originally, um, like we talked about, I went to Tuskegee University, and yeah. my junior year, I had decided that I didn't want to get a nine to five. I knew that with my history degree, I was going to need to go to school even longer, and I I knew I need to do something a little different. And I walked into the history department on the wall. They say, "Do you love travel and education and everything like that?" And it was a Peace Corps little postcard. It said, fill this out. We send you the information. A year later, going back and forth for interviews, and a month after I graduated, they sent me a letter in the mail and said, you have 10 days to say yes or no. You've been chosen to go to South Africa. Oh. So I called one of my South African friends who lived here in Oakland who worked with my mom, Tilavali Chivasi. Yeah. I was like, should I go? I was like, should I go? He was like, hell yeah, you should go. So three months <laughs> after after graduating from Tuskegee, I was in South Africa in the Peace Corps in the Limpopo mm-hmm. province as a community resource volunteer and doing curriculum work in primary schools, HIV, AIDS, and malaria education, as, as well as library development. And um, I had a, a, a girlfriend that used to take me to Johannesburg and show me everything that they had that you know they called Johannesburg the city of gold and this would be a serious trip you know sometimes it it could take up to seven to nine hours um, to travel from the northern province Limpopo down to Johannesburg and there used to be this place called Monday Blues it was an open mic um, that they did every Monday night and we went to this place and there I saw these two guys up there killing it on the microphone, right? Mm-hmm. Just two guys, a guitar and a harmonica, singing their hearts out. And around that time, I started doing my first recordings, and I had always done some writing. And I was like, one day I'm going to work with these guys. Mm-hmm. And there was another brother from L.A. who actually lives here in Oakland, Adimu Majun, who was also in the, in the Peace Corps that I had met around that same time. Um, we finished the Peace Corps. I came back here to Oakland on 9th and Peralta. In the bottoms, I learned how to edit film. And after that year, we decided to go back to South Africa for just two-week vacation just to reconnect with our people. But I was like, yo, we got to connect with these cats called Roots 2000. They, they, they're on our type of vibe. And we get there, and we see one of them, um, Slick Angel, uh, and Dick Lolele, walking down the street. And I said, there he goes. And we met him, ended up meeting Nkolisi, um, or they call him MXO. And that mm-hmm. two-week vacation ended up being a whole year in South Africa. Oh. Right? Wow. And um, worked on my uh, first documentary, got music on the documentary uh, called Kola Kodeni, uh, which is about um, male circumcision ceremonies in contemporary Africa. Um, worked on albums with these guys, shot my first three, four music videos. And that was, you know, in my, in my mid-20s. And it was um, some pretty formative in terms of launching my career as a filmmaker, musician, as an artist, and and educator. And now, you know, 16 years later, we've we've reconnected. Um, 
through some work that they've been doing with uh, Demu Madjun, also known as Wolfhawk Jaguar, um, on a, on some films and music, and we're continuing to build and see if we can, you know, create as many projects as we can to inspire the people, you know. So this one um, chance circumstance happened to meet these guys, and we've become, you know, great friends. Um, but also collaborators in, in, in music and, and in business. And um, it, it's definitely been a, a fun ride. And when you talk about that upside-down Africa, when we say upside-down, mm-hmm. you know, part of the concept is, for one, with this I Yeah Africa single and, and album, we're really about the unification of African Africans in Africa and Africans all around the world, right? Sometimes in mm-hmm. some of the languages, you say I am, that just means like, yo, I hear you, I see you. It's a recognition mm-hmm. of the person that's standing right in front of you. But it's also an exclamation of, of joy, right? Mm-hmm. And with mm-hmm. that upside-down Africa is to bring a new perspective of who we are as Africans um, in Africa and in the diaspora. It also is rooted back to ancient Egypt and Kemet where – their perspective of how the world actually is is different than what we've been basically taught by the Europeans and their drawings of the maps, where Europe is at the top of the map, center of the map. It's even called a continent, and it's not even a continent, right? Mm-hmm. right. So the, the Nile is the only river that flows from south to north, right? So what they call Upper Egypt, the south, but, you know, Lower Egypt, what we would call north. So it's to bring that different perspective of what we're dealing with now, but also bring in that that ancient perspective and technology into our everyday lives. And that's a part of what their name, Roots 2000, is about, being rooted in our ancient traditions, but being futuristic in the present, right? That's that's, that's Mm -hmm. what it's all about, because the sound definitely has like a traditional South African – Gosa sound, um, but it's also something else at the same time, you know, that mm-hmm. when you turn on your radio right now, you're like, oh, turn that up. That's going to be the jam this year, you know, <laughs> and, um, that, and, that's, and that's definitely what we're planning on right now with this particular single, and people that have heard it have been, have been moved by it, and mm-hmm. our, our goal mm-hmm. is to get as many people to hear it as possible, get as many people to download it, play it come to the shows, you know, we got some T-shirts um, that mm. we're working on and a whole merchandise line of IA Africa and get it on commercials and movies, everything like that. So it's mm. really mm. been a, a a project that we've invested uh, our hearts and our souls in and um, definitely want to um, bring that joy of that creation, you know, to to our people. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a what a great story! Um, you know, Peace Corps, you know, and then a whole year there. So, our I I I heard you know I know you've got the accent, but do you do you actually speak any of the uh, languages of the region in South Africa? Well, when I well being around both these guys that are that are closer, I'm learning a few words here here and there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when I was <laughs> in the, the Northern Province in the Peace Corps, the original time I was in the Peace Corps, it was a little over two years. 
they have a another um, tribe where I was learning the language, the Chitsonga mm-hmm. people. I think on a level of one to five, maybe I was close to a three by the time I left, but uh, a lot mm-hmm. of it I've, I forgot, I've forgotten since I've come back to the States and, you know, not really utilized it as much. But I can, um, you know, I can at least greet people, say hello and everything like that and get around mm-hmm. with some of the basics. Right, yeah. Well, would you like would you like me to play um, uh, IA Africa and then we can come back and talk after that? Oh, yeah, that would be great. Let, let, let the people okay. hear it. All righty. All right. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
right? So mm-hmm. it, it definitely it definitely is a, a story of Oakland and South Africa uh, coming together. And I, I like to say that uh, we're, we're bridging the gap that Willie Lynch broke, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely we're, 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 we're brothers on um, distant relatives like Nas and Junior Gong would say. We're, we're, we're coming from two different parts of the world and uh, bring, bringing it together um, with brotherhood and sisterhood and, and with, with the arts. Um, but if you're interested, you can give me a call, 510-912-2103. And you can also um, reach me at roots2000music at gmail.com. So e- either one of those is the way that uh, you can actually book them for, for, for a show. Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah, well, you know, um, South Africa, um, particularly uh, Johannesburg, Johannesburg has been compared to um, to Oakland in in a lot of ways. Oh. And um, and when I was in Johannesburg, I definitely <laughs> I understood, you know, sort of that, you know, that that analogy. And um, yeah, a friend of mine though, um, Vern, uh, Dr. Vern Kramati, um told me about that he's at Contra Costa College and I think he, he did some research on that. But yeah, yeah, um there there's so many parallels between South Africa and the United oh, States. Um, you know, in a good way and in a bad way. A bad way in so far as, you know, apartheid and then a good way in that, you know, the people. Yeah, and you know, and I think that's uh many South Africans or or Many South Africans I know look up to black Americans, and I know there's many black mm-hmm. Americans that look up to South 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 Africans. We have mm-hmm. there's such a similar um, story in terms of our of, of our struggle for freedom, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's such a similar yeah. story in terms of our, the power of music and the role that plays in our freedom and our liberation in our in our daily lives. And I think that was one of the main things that has kept me closely linked to South Africa. You know, they have Robin Island mm-hmm. over here in the Bay. Uh, we have Alcatraz. <laughs> That's you know, right. We, we, we've got uh, Martin Luther we've King. We've got San Quentin, too. <laughs> and San Quentin. We've got Martin Luther King and Geronimo Pratt. You know, they've, mm-hmm. they've got um, mm-hmm. uh, Nelson Mandela and Steve Biko. You, you, you know what I'm saying? And, um, like, we were able to achieve some political freedom and independence in the 60s. Theirs happened to happen in the 90s, right? So when I, when I went there in the late 90s, I imagined that, oh, maybe this is what it felt like before I was born in the U.S. in the, in the 60s mm-hmm. and the 70s because mm-hmm. people's political consciousness is quite astute in, in South Africa. And every day I could remember people talking about how to liberate themselves, right, and mm-hmm. reminding themselves that the, the, the struggle was not over, you know, mm-hmm. and listening to the music and listening to their, their township jazz and how that was influenced by, you know, the the music coming out of the Harlem Renaissance, right, and mm-hmm. how Hugh, Hugh Masekela, Marion McKeever came to the States in, in exile, linked up with Kwame Ture. You know, there's just, there's just so many um, links um, that we have. 
and it, and uh, like you said, sometimes it could be bad or, or, or challenging or depressing, but sometimes, you know, there, there, there's just so much hope and liberation that, that comes from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, um, <clears throat> sort of in closing, and maybe we could definitely have a part two to this conversation, you know, once, you know, Roots 2000 are on the ground, um, about the prosperity movement. Um, yeah, why don't you tell yeah. us a little bit about the prosperity movement? So, so prosperity movement is a it's a movement that was created by Dimu Madju and his wife uh, Oshun Femi Wanberi, and um, they are definitely a big part of this collaboration with Roots 2000, right? And mm-hmm. the birth of it is having. And having and bringing positivity in one in one's own life, you know, always thinking in prosperity and abundance, whether it has to do with your family, your art, your community, and it's a, it's about the unification of uh, ourselves with our spirit, but also with the with the people around us. And um, right now, prosperity movement actually has a song out right now with uh, Adimu Majun, Wolfhawk Jaguar, and Slick Angel from Roots 2000 that you can find right now on iTunes. It's called Homecoming, you know, and that's mm. what a piece of, you know, when I when I go back to South Africa, that's what it feels like. It's, it's Homecoming, right? Mm. The next single that's going to come out um, is going to be with MXO from Roots 2000 and Wolfhawk Jaguar, right, called Celebration. Right mm-hmm. then, there's another one coming out with Slick Angel and Ocean <laughs> Femi One Beard, right? Mm-hmm. Called called Destiny. You know these, and then, you know these power words is definitely about um, acknowledging the power of uh, uh, of our words, the power of our of our spirit, and connecting to our ancient indigenous wisdom. You know, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a uh, the prosperity movement is growing. And uh just wanna throw throw a shout out to them for um you know, always always being positive and um giving us a, a bright outlook on, on life and, and our and our arts. So as a part of that, you know, when we come together and you book a show, you're able to get all of this together. You know, the the films from Prosperity Movement were so beautiful and the soundtrack and also a Roots two thousand performing. Right, so all of these people come together to, to 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 build that show. So mm. it's, def- it's definitely a, a beautiful thing. You're gonna you're gonna have to have him on the show too. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. We have to um, set that up <laughs> for the very near future. De- de- definitely, and I know you got to get off, but you remember, uh, Dimu and I actually was it probably about maybe 15 years ago. <laughs> um, we're a part of your film festival, the Mahapa Film Festival, with our first films and music videos we were a part of in South Africa, you know. Mm-hmm. And Roots right. 2000 was actually in that documentary. Really? You know, so, <laughs> yeah. If you, if you, I don't know if you still have a copy, but if you go look back, they are actually, they are actually in there. And it, it even um, had some of their solo songs. So even though they are Roots 2000, they didn't have any music videos there. But it definitely has Slick Angel's first single that we shot 
MXO's mm. first single that we shot. So this is definitely um, like a like a family reunion that's going to be happening with this trip. Oh wow, that's really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I've I've known you and um, Wolfhawk Jaguar Dimu Majun for a long time, and and just watch your work just expand and increase and just oh man it's just so beautiful becoming you know sort of a diaspora movement and so it's been really wonderful um to you know to know you and to call you a friend and and your family and it's just it's just really beautiful things so but i didn't know about what you just told me <laughs> yeah, i didn't remember yeah, either so no no i don't have a copy of the film i think um we showed it and gave it back but um yeah, I would love let me to let me see again. if I can if I can work on it. You know that thing's probably in the vault somewhere. Let me see if I can find a copy and get that to you so we can reminisce a little bit. That would be really nice. Yeah, that would be really awesome. And could you send me links to um, Homecoming and um, and uh, uh, Kalila's um, film that you I mean uh, song that you mentioned okay. so I can play those too. Okay, I'll send you Homecoming is out now. I'll send you okay. links to that. Destiny should be out within the next two to three weeks. We are working okay. on our digital distribution right now. And, you know, Prosperity Movement um, has just signed a, a digital distribution deal. And oh, um, good. a lot of work is going to be coming through there also. Okay. Super. All righty. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, I have a guest from um, uh, Greedy City Theater, um, the – director and co-director in the studio and and, uh, and this nice. conversation really ties in well to what Robert Page and Lindsay uh, uh, Crumbian, uh, Crumbin are going to be talking about. They uh, they have a new piece uh, up now called Black Salt uh, which looks at oh, nice. police brutality. Yeah, yeah. In Oakland. <laughs> in Oakland. In Oakland. <laughs> All right. Uh, hello. Well, you take good care. Home. Uh, yeah, well, Definitely. let me let me, um, let, me uh, let me unmute it so they can say hi. <laughs> okay. So Lindsay Hello there, and good uh, Robert, you can say hi. Yeah. Good, yeah. good morning. Good rising. How you doing out there? How's it going? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's going good. It's going good. It's a it's a good day. Like my dad said, it's a good day. It's only gonna get better. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hi, you take good care, Shaka. Hi, Lindsay. For sure. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, hey Shaka. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Good. It's Rob from um, uh, United Roots. Oh, what's up? What's up? What's going on? <laughs> How you doing? What's going on with you? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We in the right place. We 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 right. here. Yeah. With, um, we're here with our sister Wanda Severe, so you know it's all good. Yeah, yeah, I was listening to the talk. <laughs> I was like, I, I know this right, man. I recognize this guy. Ah, uh, for sure. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful <laughs> that you all have a connection. That's yeah. really super. Right. <laughs> Definitely. More world. Yeah. Definitely. You know everybody Definitely. related in you know everybody related in Oakland. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Oakland ain't, ain't, <laughs> Oakland ain't that big. That's right. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I'm gonna get on with um with Robert and Lindsay. Um, Lindsay, 
Um, so, Shaka, let's, until we talk again in the very near future. Thank yeah, you so anytime, much. Anytime, anytime. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Shaka. Peace. Blessings. Peace. Oh, good morning, Robert and Lindsay. How are you? Good morning. Doing great. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, How you doing? Wow. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. You know, when I saw the name Black Salt, you know, the title of Greedy City Reps Youth Theater's current production, which is selling out, um, but people can still show up and and somebody might not show up and then you can get a ticket. <laughs> like I was so lucky, you know, to get a ticket, you know, last week on Saturday. But when I saw Black Salt, I just thought ritual, you know, I thought, you know, the spelling, you know, energies, you know, that might not be that great using that black salt to do magic. And um, and then I was reading, you know, this really, wow, well-written program. It's like a little book. <laughs> I mean, it's so <laughs> well you. done. Like, look at this, like all this great information. I mean, literally. And then I was just wondering about the black salt part. Like, where was the black salt in the theater so that we could, like, sprinkle it on and, you know, do some stuff <laughs> around the energies that were that were brought up and the different spirits that were brought up in this, like, really powerfully emotional work. Thank you, Wanda. Thank you so much, and it was wonderful to have you there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me introduce you to our audience, and then we can just get right into the conversation. Um, so Lindsay Michelle uh, Crumbine, or is it? So or Lindsay, is there, yeah, Lindsay Crumbine, Lindsay Crumbine. Crumbine. Oh, it's a long yeah. name. Crumbine, long eye. Okay, <laughs> director, <laughs> costume designer, sound designer, carpenter. She is like everything. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like if you if you see it in the theater, Lindsay probably had her finger in it. Um <laughs> uh she found a gritty city rep in January just wow, um eight years ago, right? So you have yep. almost having a ten year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. It has been a minute now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and you produced and directed 24 shows with talented youth performers since 2002. Um, Gritty City Rep theatrical credits include New Word Disorder, Play Fight, Reentry, Fuji, After Juliet, Caught Up, Anonymous, uh, with brackets around Y-M-O-U-S, Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Macbeth, The Comedy of Errors, Much to Do, Much Ado About Nothing, and The Tempest, um, Crumbian, Crum, no, not Crumbine, that, not me, Crumbine, thank you, Crumbine, um, served as education director for San Francisco Playhouse from 2009 to 2014, and coaches beginning teachers throughout the East Bay. She currently builds educational curriculum for NCTC. Yeah, that's New NCTC. Conservatory Theater Center in San Francisco. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, right there on um, the yeah. Van Ness. And trains their teaching artists. You're so busy. Like, how do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> as well as recently launching the Hyde Project. The Hyde Project is so cool, you know, having an opportunity 
to um to have a conversation with other theater um uh um people who are also in the, in the theater members uh, audience members afterwards to sort of unpack what we just experienced that was nice um and uh, the high project is a cutting edge audience lab in collaboration with Crowded Fire Theater and Ubuntu Theater Project. And um, and you're in the really new space. It's like really nice, the Flax Building. It's like, oh, that is now your, your home, right? That is now our home, yes. We, uh, mm-hmm. we are in collaboration with Ubuntu. So the actual theater space, Ubuntu rented and built out mm. and then – what the audience didn't get to see was that we rented an 1,100 square foot space across the building and turned it into a rehearsal studio and office and storage space with like a beautiful sprung floor that's great for dancing and physical theater. And then we also use it as a green room, which Ubuntu does as well. So we just have a, a sharing model where I get to have my shows in their theater, and they get to use our studio for their green room and rehearsals, and we just oh. we just share. So it's pretty exciting. Nice. nice, yeah. And then Robert Page is also playwright for this particular work. You all co-wrote it, uh, and you're yeah. also the assistant director of the theater. So, wow, nice, yeah. nice. And you are a 25-year-old Oakland native. Yeah, and you're so young, right. 25 years old. Like, really? Okay. So you got a long <laughs> way to go. Like, you know, yeah. like many roads to travel. Like, 25? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, how many more well, plays well, are in you, Robert? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. A lot. Yeah. I say yeah, a lot. Yeah, I, I really like Caught Up. Caught Up was awesome. And, you know, this one thank here you, is like... You. Equally riveting, Black Salt, oh my goodness. Um, you first performed with Gritty City Theater in the original version of Caught Up in 2014. And then um, um, you also performed in Gritty City Rep shows Macbeth, New World Disorder, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Caught Up, um, both of them, <laughs> uh, the 2018 right. version, which you co-wrote, and The Taming of the Shrew. Um, and and now um, uh, you are co-writer on Black Salt, and um, you are excited. You write to shift from performer to assistant directorial role. You have to tell us sort of like how does that feel? You know, sort of expanding. You know, the width of your hat. <laughs> yeah. It feels good. It feels good. I mean, I get to see. I guess one of the things that was kind of, um, you know. A revelation was how 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 tedious like directing can be and how how difficult it also can be. Um, but also, you know, the joy from it. You know, I, I was used to being on the acting side, so you know, I got to do all the rehearsing and and uh, you know preparing. Um, now I get to um, be more like hands on with uh, assisting folks and um, you know diving deep into their characters. Um, and like rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal to you know make sure everything's right for the for the audience that we deliver and everything well. So it's a it, it was a I'm still learning. I'm gonna say that I'm definitely still learning. Lindsay's uh, a great mentor for that. So thank you, Lindsay. Oh, thanks, Rob. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so tell us about, you know, the name of this play, Black Salt, you know, which is about, you know, um, a lot of things, um, you know, police, use of excessive force, you know, um, you know, people uh, see um, uh, people um, of Latin American ancestry, you know, who are here mm-hmm. um, and, um, you know, doing very well. And it's also about artists. And it's about sort of the struggle, you know, of a person whose partner is, um, you know, sort of being looked at as, you know, um, using excessive force and killing, you know, this this young person. Um, so anyway, I just wonder if you could talk about, you know, the title Black Salt, you know, sort of that, that analogy and, and, and why... Robert, I read that you wanted to write about police violence in Oakland. <laughs> so, <laughs> so right, I wanted right. to you know, yeah. talk about just sort of like, you know, why you wanted to focus on that and then how you and, and Lindsay, you know, went about writing this, this work because it's, 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 a, it's a look at, um, you know, the topic, um, you know, police violence in a way that I don't think um, we've seen before. Right. Well, that's pretty great to hear. I mean, I think I think for both Robert and myself, it feels important to address some real issues in the right. work without creating like a quote unquote issues play. Like like we're both interested in human experience and the ways in which People from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, struggle with difficult questions and and moral conundrums. And so this felt like a way to, like, as you said, you know, Rob brought up police brutality, police violence right away. But then we still wanted this to be very character driven. Right. Because mm-hmm. for me, when I see work, the reason I care about it is because I care about the people, you know, and they're fallible and they have strengths and weaknesses and struggles. And and really watching a character go through something and not really having good answers necessarily and having to navigate a problematic situation is what pulls me in and where I can empathize and connect regardless of if our personal experiences are super different. So I think Mm -hmm. that was a really big thing in terms of our process was continually dialing down sort of a more action-based plot and digging into what what the families, what the characters were going through and keeping that the focus. And we would have moments where it would be like a little, you know, like we were going in a direction that was a little too, you know, action movie based. And then we'd pause and say, do we really need that scene? Maybe not. And and just really stay focused on the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think one of the other reasons, like, I mean, of course, police brutality is like a huge um, issue across our country, um, but definitely in Oakland. And um, mm-hmm. when I think back on like what kind of got me, because um, I also community organized um, 
from as a full-time job uh, with Urban Peace Movement. And what kind of got me involved in that was um, the the unfortunate shooting of Oscar Grant. Um, and it so that kind that was something that stuck with me, and it, it was something that kind of like carried throughout the country of uh, a bunch of incidents of police, um, you know, brutality on folks of color. Um, and then, you know, I, I feel like, just like Lynn said, we was really, like, looking at, like, depth of characters, you know what I mean? And not just, um, we weren't just focused on, like, um, yeah, the issue of police brutality, but how do we, like, wholly address these issues? I mean, I think one of the other things is, like, um, you know, people, people, we all are people, whether it's a police officer, whether it's um, um, a fighter fighter, whether it's a, a a teacher, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, what's the what's the issues, and and how do we relate these issues in a in a real way? You know, and mm-hmm. also looking at just these sort of ripple effects. Um, you know, if you recall, we had this social media based scene in the mm-hmm. play um, where we were really trying to address the ways in which you know, social media can make things really black and white and people feel very comfortable chiming in and making these decisive statements about situations that they may know very little about and like posing all of these different possibilities and scenarios, whereas actually, you know, situations are often much too complicated to be reduced to de- to these little sound bites and then of course you know we get news about stuff and it's like the thing and it's big and it's loud and everybody's like blah 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 water cooler and then it's just done and we move on to the next thing but of course the families who have dealt with whatever trauma or tragedy or crisis are still dealing with it and so I think one of the things we wanted to look at is like the aftermath once the the initial fervor has died down you know what is actually happening behind closed doors for the people who have been traumatized mm-hmm. yeah um, we don't we don't get a chance to see the actual um policeman who um who shoots um the fifteen year old um uh, young person. So we don't actually get a chance to see how he's processing any of this because we only meet him once before um they hear the gun shots and he, you know, pursues um uh, well he runs to the scene and then he shoots the kid. Um yeah, I was wondering um, what what the decisions were around around that, not letting us see um, what the policeman felt who did it. Since we're talking Rob, about we're you all people, me. you want yeah. you want to take that one, Rob, or me? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. I don't mind. Um, okay. You could just you could chime in, of course, if you want. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I think one of the things um, was uh, I think we didn't want to kind of 
I think a lot of times what happens in our in our communities is that with these issues, as you, we highlighted in the play, a lot of times, like, you know, the police officers get off or, um, you know, there's the blue wall of silence um, and, and things like that that kind of resound through our uh, communities. Uh, we didn't want to uh, perpetuate the idea of um, um, if it was the victim's fault or it was this person's fault. We didn't really want to put lay blame on any individual. Um, so we actually kind of, sorry, I got my baby with me. We actually kind of felt it better to leave that up to the audience to interpret around what it is that um, that these folks, that that person could be going through or, you know what I mean? We want to highlight um, his partner, someone that was there who also is dealing with it, um, but in a, in a different way. I don't know if you want to add more to that. Yeah, well, and I think another conversation I recall us having is that neither of us felt equipped to authentically write Mm. that scene. Like, and, you know, the depth of, we did do a lot of community interviews, but the depth of research and interviews we would have had to do, I think, to talk to people who had been involved in officer-involved shooting it just felt a little beyond what we could take on. And and one of the things that we both work really hard at is not writing outside of our lived experience and outside of our purview to a point that feels unauthentic. Um, Mm -hmm. I I would also say, you know, the, the name of the officer is Officer White. You know, it, it, it was an actor <laughs> of color in a white face mask. So that mm-hmm. was the one character that was very much an archetype. And mm. that was purposeful that, you know, which is a statement, you know, about white police officers, which, you know, I'm sure lots of people have varied opinions on that, but we were expressing a point of view mm-hmm. um, and a criticism with uh with that choice so but we also did interview a lot of police officers of color and you know had some really interesting conversations about the individuals versus the system and the politics Mm. of policing and the difficulty of trying to go into policing as a member of like in your own community like as a person of color who grew up in Oakland and then wanting to do a good job and then a lot of the real struggles to do that because of systemic changes that we all know are needed in policing. So I think in that way, we were really trying to humanize Mila and not like excuse the problems in in the police department, but like look at an individual who is not just like a bad cop, but finds herself in this situation where she really doesn't quite know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then you have um, you have some dream scenes where you have um, you know these these um, police officers in white face. Um, haunting, you know, Mila, because, yeah. you know, she, she, you know, definitely is like, okay, do I defend my partner um, or do I tell 
the truth about what I witnessed. And right. um yeah, yeah, and so a lot of questioning around around allegiance and and then it's really, really beautiful to see the support that her family has, um, you know, having a police person in the family that wants to be a police officer and then having a person in the family that is a police officer that, you know, you know, while while she's basically still a r- rookie, or he's, uh, what's the pronoun for um, for Mila? She. She okay. Um, yeah. Is is still a um, <laughs> a rookie? You know, has has this um, this this uh, killing, you know, take place? You know, on her watch with her partner. It's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then her cousin. Um, her sister, really, um, who she grows up with, <laughs> is is uh, an activist and supporting um, people, a lot of people, you know, uh, in the community, young people. Um, I think that's uh, Jordan, right? Who um, yes, who who've been on the other side of that, who have experienced, you know, police violence and other types of social violence, you know, whether that is, um, you know, employment or education. Or you know, or whatever you know. So it's like ah, so you know, you really have you sort of really up the ante <laughs> with with you know the disc- discourses between the various um, folks that are in the conversation. And then we you know bring in um, you know the uh, the victim and his brother, you know, uh, Giovanni, the elder brother, and um, and then is it Aspiri Dion? Is that yeah, it's Spiridion or spirit. Right. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about these family dynamics because in the program you don't give us like, okay, this is the first scene and this is the second scene. So I'm like, okay, I'm trying to remember how things <laughs> sort of rolled out <laughs> and not doing a great job remembering. Rob, I mean, you wrote you wrote all the scenes with Mila's family. Do you want to talk about that yeah. dynamic a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think there's no there's no mystery. Like, um, you know, a lot of the uh, stigma that Black families have around um, uh, policing um, in general. Um, and I was uh, like, like I mentioned, I was community organizing um, pretty much you know, since high school, um, and my, you know, a lot of it I put from, like, my personal experience as well as, you know, experiences that I've had shared with me from others around um, takes on uh, policing. And um, so as I developed characters like uh, Jordan, um, I just really tried to dig from the root of um, how folks who are who were victims of police brutality, who were victims of, like you said, a lot of these social injustices, um, how they would come to feel like a loved one who's kind of just diving into the system, into a system that they feel like kind of perpetuates their oppression, um, how they would authentically feel in regards to that. Um, So I think it it also, like, as me, and me and Lizzie kind of co-developed Mila, um, it also was like uh, an interesting dynamic for Mila too, being a you know a person I was raised in that type of family, and making this deliberate choice to be a police officer. Um, so yeah, it was um, 
I wouldn't, it actually wasn't too much of like a challenge developing these characters, but it was more so what is the what is the root of uh, the essence of what they want or their purpose um, in these interactions, you know what I mean? Or, you know, um, yeah. Boy, oh, what, are the things, the, what, what are the things that I was really impressed with in terms of Rob's writing um, was the Uncle Joe character who mm-hmm. is in a scene later in the play sits with his daughter and really drops a lot of wisdom. And I felt that, um, you know, it's tough I think, to write scenes like that and not be heavy-handed. And I thought Rob was able to really strike a great balance of using that scene to build the relationship between the father and the daughter and really show their closeness and the way they interact with each other, but to also do some, just get some real truths out there about, you know, what, this black family has experienced and just in the broader black community. And I was just really impressed with his use of the, this uncle, this older black male voice of wisdom. And that just the way he was able to articulate some really heavy core beliefs in the play. And yet, still keep it in the voice of the character and not feel too heavy handed. So I don't know how you felt about that scene, Wanda. Um, but I always really love that scene. Yeah, I, I liked it too. Daughter. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, because because they, they, they were sisters and and this this um you know, this particular incident was you know, was, was coming into the house and and sort of um, sundering, you know, the great relationship that they had. And so he just needed to remind, you know, his daughter of of who, you know, you know, her sister, cousin is, and so that she wouldn't let the politics of it divide them apart. You know, because sometimes, you know, we yeah. get sort of caught up in the politics and forget, you know, the human being. And so he was just like, just had to like, oh, and she remembered, like, oh, this, yeah, I remember, you know, like, us being in bed together, us getting in trouble together, us having fun together. And and then they talked about the, the saying that they had. What, what was that saying that they have about the plate or something? Uh, don't let nothing come between y'all except the dinner plate. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what was really Rob, nice about that thing. Where did you get that, Rob? Say it again, Lynn. Did you get that from your, was that from your childhood? Where did you get that? <laughs> it it actually was. We had a kind of like a similar saying, but um so I just, it wasn't exactly from my childhood, but I had a saying that that kind of went exactly the same, just around the idea that you know, when we step outside, then we have to come together. We can't show no division. We only time we address the uh, real issues with each other is behind closed doors. We want we want to we want to be unified when we you know step out into um, step inside step outside the door step outside the house. We are unified team. Um, so that was like a childhood belief that my grandma kind of engraved in me. Huh. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, and I like that, you know, um Uncle Joe was you know, he was real loving. Um he, he kept on telling his daughter to come sit down. <laughs> come sit closer. <laughs> like, you know, it was like he wasn't gonna start until they were in proximate you know, proximate to one another. Like he could touch her, she could touch him, right? And yeah. there was no distance. And so that was like he had like, you know, set set the parameters, like, okay, and then and I like that you know, she respected her father and, and did exactly what he said, you know, and he he listened even though she didn't want to hear it. And uh-huh. and then, you know, and you could see her kinda like melting, the energy like just dissipating and, and to the point where like, okay, well and then and then that great scene when he went you know, Jordan went to her cousin, Mila, and and they had their conversation. And so, yeah, it was all like had all these sort of like moments of dissolve. Even even between um Mila and her her girlfriend. You know, who who was her girlfriend? What was her name? June. June, June right, yeah, Aya Dominique. Yeah, these actors, you know, um uh was it um how do you pronounce uh Nigel uh, Nigel Waterman. Waterman as Mila. Yeah, she's awesome. I remember her from other other plays. She was great, and um, and then um, Aya Dominique and as as June, and then Zaria Stanton as Jordan, and then Esau Mir Robbins Bilal as Uncle Joe. I mean, you know, um, uh, Jonathan uh, Mejia uh, Navita, and he said that this is his, was his first. First day, right? As Giovanna, like he just killed it. Like what? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that you know, I just really appreciated the dynamic between the brothers. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought both those actors, Isaac Infante and Jonathan Mejia Naveda, really went to some deep, beautiful, emotional places with kind of almost a surprising ease. Like they were just ready for it. They got real comfy with each other, and, you know, it was interesting because after Jonathan, night after Jonathan's family came and saw the show, I asked him, you know, how they felt about it, and he said that his older brother cried multiple times, um, and that just this idea of being left alone together, and that if he found himself in this situation... So I really appreciated that. You know, I've been a teacher for a really long time and worked um, mostly with uh, populations dealing with poverty, um, and which, of course, we all know brings a, a ton of other issues. And uh, I think one of the most profound and painful things that I learned early in my teaching career is that often there is just no good answer and there is just not a solution that you can provide no matter how bad you want to. Um, Which might sound obvious, but you know, I started teaching in my 20s and was just so Are are you, excuse me, is, excuse me for a second, Lindsay, um, is is someone driving or something? I I hear like, or Oh, sorry. Uh, I'll meet my phone. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah, and I just, you know, I wanted to illustrate, you know, when Giovanni is talking with his counselor, you know, Mm -hmm. and she's trying to support his aspirations, but he also has these 
realities of family obligation. There are very real and they're just, you can brainstorm, but like often (laughs) there's just not much you can do. And Mm -hmm. I just think it's important to recognize that, you know, people do get stuck in these situations through no fault of their own where they are not able to access opportunities regardless of talent and work ethic and drive and aspiration, you know, because mm-hmm. Giovanna is going to prioritize his brother. Mm-hmm. And right. which hurts, right? Which hurts and he gets mad, but like ultimately his family is the most important thing, you know? So, mm-hmm. and I think for all the characters, right? That's really Yes. One of the threads that runs through the play. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose you could talk a little bit about um the uh um maybe since we're talking about members of the cast, um, um maybe you could talk a little bit more about, about these wonderful actors, you know, some of them veterans with Gritty City. And then I suppose you could talk about, you know, the art because, you know, you bring in some really famous um Mexican artists. Um, muralist even, um, you know, uh, Rufino Tamayo, you know, he's like, you know, he's iconic, <laughs> you know, 1899 yeah. to 1991. Um, and, and then you've got Jose Guadalupe uh, Posada, 1852 to 1913. So it's like, you know, you bring in like these historic presence of, of you know, sort of, um, of, you know, Mexican Mexicano artists and art and with it the history um and and then you know sort of the decision to um you know to look at um police brutality and excessive use of force through multiple lens, but the you know the person who was killed is not a person of African descent, you know it's a person of you know uh, Latino or Mexican descent, so it's like a difference there. Um, and so, so you're able to like, so they're like all these multiple levels of conversation that we're having, um, around, you know, this incident. Yeah. Um, so the ensemble this season is very exciting, uh, about half new, half a veteran ensemble members. So Naja and Zaria started with us as sophomores in high school, and they're both seniors about to graduate and both interested in majoring in performing arts in college, um, Mm. which is pretty exciting. Uh, Aya Dominique is a senior at Mills finishing her theater degree, so she just presented her thesis in uh, directing and performing, which actually Rob and I were both able to go check out at Mills, which was pretty exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. Jonathan is brand new this year. He's a recent graduate of UC Santa Cruz and mm-hmm. had always been interested in acting, but just never gotten into it and clearly is such a natural and so talented. And so we're just thrilled to have him on board and even though he's a new actor, he just brings a level of maturity and, you know, skilled communication that made him just a total dream to work with. Uh, Esau is a 
Rob, Utah's a junior, right? Yeah. Utah's a junior at Street Academy in Oakland and is just such a brilliant young man and just brings, like, his family is super social justice oriented and he's just been engaging in all kinds of community arts and community activism, I think, since he was a little boy. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, his lens and his just whole vibe. And he's also... This is his second year with us, and I just think his his skills have grown by leaps and bounds, um, which is exciting to see. Uh, Isaac, who plays Espiritu and the little brother, is actually uh, um, studying at Merritt right now okay. um, in criminal mm-hmm. justice and is interested mm. in becoming a police officer. So, that, you know, oh, it's wow. like, uh-huh. yeah, right? And so, mm. um, and then we've got... Jules, Gabby, or who played Adela, they're brand new. We've got Noah, who played the cop and also played Uncle Leek and, you know, is right now in the process of applying to the performing arts school at Stanford. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got a real powerhouse cast. Kelly E., who played the trumpet in the show, you know, goes mm-hmm. from playing a super queer character with all kinds of insane comedic timing to playing the district attorney super harsh and stern you know I thought for a junior in high school that he does really amazing character work and is getting better all the time Diana Gomez is new this year this is her first show with us she was fantastic um Joy Knighton also is a graduate of UC Santa Cruz but in the theater program and had been with us in past years and came back to do this show. Um, God, Rob, am I forgetting anyone? I hope not. <laughs> Gabby. Gabby. Yep, I said Gabby, who played Adela. Um, the counselor is brand new. She's our youngest. She's a sophomore in I mean, high Zalicia. school. I mean, Zalicia. I played um, Ray. Yeah, oh, and Zalicia is fantastic. Well, Zalicia worked with Robert at um, – at CFJ, right, Rob? Yeah, at California Suggested. Yeah, and so she came to us through that connection and is just like, has the most amazing spirit, played Art Ray to a T. Um, oh, she was good. <laughs> yeah, so we just have a, we just have a really strong squad. And some of the young folks that came out and saw the show are excited to audition. On Tuesday, oh, so I think we're going to get a few new folks, because a few of our um, university-age folks are not able to perform in the spring show because of just, you know, school conflict. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I forget your other question. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm excited talking about the bubble. Yeah. Um, about, you know, sort of, um, you know, bringing in, you know, DACA and the Dreamers and and having, you know, the crime happen, you know, the killing happen in in a community outside of the black community, which is, you know, sort of, it's what's expected, you know, that a black right. is killed or a black person is killed, um, but you all switch it up. So, yeah, well, so it we have these multiple um, conversations happening, um, you know, it's, black cops. Well, and I think that's mm-hmm. really the point right, is Mm -hmm. to just, 
Um, and and just in doing research, uh, there is a there is a bit of an issue with such crimes going like underreported in terms of the media and not as highlighted. And I think because of a lot of fears around ICE and the, you know, just how bad things are, the current climate around immigration, around lack of documentation, you know, folks are frightened to be as vocal. And, you know, certainly people in the Latinx community are being targeted by police, are more likely to be arrested, go to prison, be shot and killed, um, very similarly to uh, African-American folks. So, yeah, we thought that that would really add some depth to the play and allow us to broaden the conversation. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And And then I mentioned, you know, the art and the soundtrack is really awesome, too. Oh, so Chris Granillo is the painter who did the projected mural that was supposedly Espiri Dion's work. So Chris Granillo, got a Mm. plug for him for sure. He's an amazing muralist. I actually met Chris because he painted a mural in our new studio um, Mm. for Dragon School. So he was a volunteer with them and came to do a gorgeous mural for us. And we needed this strong visual art um, and really wanted a Mexican painter, a a Chicano, Mexican-American painter, you know, who knew Rufino Tamayo, who knew Jose Guadalupe Posada, who, you know, came from those cultural traditions um, and had grown up familiar with these artists. And so he also did the sketchbook, you know, Mm. which was a real labor of love. Yeah, so yeah, Chris did the nice. sketchbook and the coyote mural for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I thought was such beautiful work. So he is really fantastic, and I know he does other mural work in San Francisco and in Oakland. And, you know, he definitely has a presence on social media, so any folks who are interested in that fantastic art should look up Chris Granillo on G-R-A-N-I-L-L-O on Instagram and all that stuff. He's he's really fantastic and was so generous with us. Yeah, he was really great to work with. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I yeah. think you were saying, oh, look at this little booklet, like our playbill, it was so informative. That's one thing we always strive to do is, you know, provide some really good, interesting information around the play that people can take away with them and hopefully learn about something new. I mean, I would imagine a bunch of our audience members had, were not familiar with those two painters, you know, Mm -hmm. but then they learn something and maybe during the play, not everybody gets certain references, but then they can look back and be like, oh, that's what that was. And, you know, Mm-hmm. Just garner some knowledge. So it's a fun, right. it's a fun way to mm-hmm. just provide some information for people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the soundtrack. Um. That. I mean. 
we just sort of discussed a particular vibe. The play sounded really moody and bluesy <laughs> to us, but with that sort of hip-hop baseline underneath for Oakland, and so that's what that's what we went for. Mm-hmm. I just do lots of yeah. searching. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, you are all the kind of known, well, we talked before about, you know, sort of the soundtrack is it's real intentional and, and, and once again, you know, you got it. It's very nice. Thank um you. wish wish that it was listed in here, like what we're listening to. So then we could call it up and play it ourselves. You know, if it's <laughs> well, uh, not original I music. Make a playlist and anyone who wants it can just email me and I'll share it. So Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to email it to you. Email. I want to see your playlist. I want your playlist. Okay, cool. I will definitely give you my playlist, Wanda. <laughs> cool, yeah. And um, and so um, for this weekend, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, how do people get tickets? So not on Sunday. We close Saturday night. Um, oh, you're not going to have an excuse? Friday and Saturday. Oh. Um, yeah, Friday and Saturday are sold out. Uh, Tonight we still have about 20 tickets left. We're really hoping there you go in the next five hours. Uh, People can go online to www.grittycityrep.org. And also my email is grittycityrep at gmail. And I got discount codes. We try and do, you know, radical access. We've got super cheap tickets. We've got general admission tickets. We want, we want to fill seats. So, you know, whatever folks' capacity is, come on down. Uh, usually we do have some releases for no-shows, like you were saying, Wanda. So if folks can't come out tonight but can only come Friday or Saturday, definitely come try at the door. We're in the Flax Building at 1501 Martin Luther King Jr. Way at 15th um, through the back parking lot. And, uh, yeah, please come on down, especially tonight. Help us fill it up. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there's tonight, a parking lot. We have sold out the whole run, right, which is always a pretty awesome thing to claim. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's really great. <laughs> Have you have you have you been selling out all of your your um like when you have a run do you sell out generally? Uh, sometimes, but not always. Not always. Oh, okay. We should. We should, but mm-hmm. it's it's tough, you know. People people wait till the last minute, or you know, forget, or whatever. But yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of competition too. Always lots of events going on. So. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you've got you've got like these images of angels and um uh and returning spirits and things like that. Um so I was wondering once again to ask you about, you know, this whole idea of black salt and and where it is um in in the work and where it is in in the actual physical space that we're we're occupying for for the play. Well, I mean, to me, I think it's it's like the way that people engage with their families and are seeking mm-hmm. out protection and understanding, you know, to get past, 
these difficult, dark places. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think if you if you look at the definition of black salt, this is sort of the scrapings from the barrel that are mm-hmm. rich and sort of the most flavorful, but you know, come from a place that is often not the most ideal, right? So I think for me, it's kind of the ways in which these really hard, painful situations shape us, but can also kind of refine our self-knowledge and our sort of own ways of looking at the world and living in a way that's really true to ourselves, right? But that the process is painful and hard. Should we have dishes of it around the theater, Waka? Yes, yes, particularly in the four corners. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you have to think about and, that. And invite, and invite, invite your audience to, you know, to, to take a little pinch. I love that. Let me see yeah, what I can yeah. do. Yeah, we we see we need it because there there are too many gunshots going off. Like every time we turn around, and then and then in that mo- that um uh the scene, I don't know what you call the scene. You could tell me the name of it. And I love the way it was set up, where you have these people on these shelves, <laughs> and <laughs> that's just like, oh my gosh, that is just so awesome. And then and then you have. Um, these scenes, like what's going on in mo- in the um, in in technology, are are actually visually created, you know, right there in the space, and you bring in people from the audience. But ultimately, somebody is dying over and over and over again, and that's what happens in the media, right? You just see it's on replay, and it's like, yep. oh my god, it's it's just a bit too much. Um, so yeah, we need some black salt. You got yeah. it. So we can so we it. can leave it. You leave the trauma <laughs> and just hold on yeah. to you know, the family, you know, that has lost, you know, in in the case of um, you know, the brothers, um but but actually, um, you know, the brother remains, he's still there, but he's just transformed into another and that's really beautiful. The 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 connection between spirit and the present is just so tangible, like the way it is on stage, but it's, it's tangible for real. But the way those scenes are just so awesome. I mean, really, really, really awesome. All the writing, they're just so beautiful. And, and like um, the actor's brother, I was just like, oh, man, I was just tearing up. I had my tissue <laughs> in yeah. my pocket. <laughs> yeah, it was just really, really beautiful because it was so sad. But then he was there, you know. In a lot of ways, talking to his brother, they were joking. He'd laugh, and then he'd look around. It was just really, really awesome. Like, oh, did I just imagine this? Where'd he go? Yeah. Thank you, Wanda. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's, like, amazing to hear your reactions. <laughs> I really appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah. 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 We Robert, actually had you have any, any... We had a student matinee on, uh, on mm. Tuesday. And um, we had two, actually, but for the morning matinee, a big class from Oakland Tech came. And I want to give a plug to their uh, Social Justice Academy because they came with, like, 55 people. And they asked if um, 
Yeah, teacher Catherine Coleman, who's just a total rock star, and she asked if they could stay for 20 minutes afterwards in the theater to have a discussion. And Mm -hmm. I sat in there and eavesdrop on it, and boy, these young people were just, I mean, they loved the show, but they're just critical thinking around it and the depth of their commentary and sort of their personal experience connections, and boy, it was just really wonderful to see that level of engagement um, and this academy that's clearly doing great work and these students were just in it and making all of these thoughtful, super reflective, super intelligent comments and it just made me think, you know, go Oakland schools. I know we got some Mm. issues, but there's also some really amazing stuff going on. And, of course, just always amazing young people. So Mm -hmm. we love to get squads like that out to see this kind of work. Mm, I mean, that's where you went, Rob. That's your alma mater, Oakland Tech. (laughs) Yeah, that is. That is. The Bud Dog. (laughs) (laughs) And where you got your start in theater. Yeah, exactly. That's where I actually met Lindsay. Oh, wow. and that's where I, really? Yeah. Oh, that's great <laughs> right, yeah. to have that connection. Nice. Right. Nice. Yeah. A lot of ties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Any um any closing thoughts, Robert? And um, I know you already know what you all are doing next, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely still working and writing. Lindsay's definitely still pushing. Um, pushing me to do a lot of writing. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, uh, I just want to uh, thank you for having us on the show and, and coming out and really giving uh, thorough feedback. We spent a lot of time to develop um, the characters and to um, kind of tackle this issue um, in, a, in a way that we feel like was authentic. Um, mm-hmm. So I, we really appreciate just folks coming out and 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 just sitting with it through the tears and the laughter and all of it, you know. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and have you had um, members of um, Oakland PD come through um, as as a group um, or anything to sort of experience the work? Since you know you mentioned um, how you had all of these, um, you did all these interviews, so a lot of community members know you know about the play. Have you had any um, any any visits from you know, the antagonist side? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, um, one of my friends from high school, um, who we actually interviewed, who I did do theater with at Tech, um, is um uh on the force and he actually came through for a show. Um Nice. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we've got another and, we've got another group coming on closing night who are part Mm -hmm. of our interview process. Um, You know, I have thought about, and Rob and I had talked about reaching out to OPD, but then, Rob, you remember that conversation we had with your activist friends that night? So we were were talking about it, and we got some feedback from another activist who said, you know, you want to think a little bit about who your audience is, who your typical audience is, your loyal, gritty city audience is. 
and what their interactions might be with the police and who you might be re-traumatizing by having a group of cops in the theater. Right. And right. that was not something that had even remotely occurred to me, I must admit. Mm-hmm. And when she said it, I thought, you know, if we want to do this, we probably got to do a lot more work, you know, to make sure that we're holding space in a safe way for all kinds of people. And it just felt like something that was a little beyond what we had capacity to tackle while getting mm-hmm. the show up, um, right. you know, while right. already wearing so many hats. And so although we definitely invited all the folks that were directly involved, I didn't do like a general outreach to OPD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking um, – it's it's probably too late for this particular run, but I was thinking that would have been a, probably a good idea for a special performance. You know how you're doing it for the young people, for the school age, exactly. for school. Yeah. That that would have worked for like just them. <laughs> yep. And yeah, and, no, and absolutely, then have, absolutely, and mm-hmm, generate yeah. critical some critical discussion around exactly. that in a way that other folks mm-hmm. wouldn't have been triggered. So you know mm-hmm. what, Wanda, I just need a little more staff. I need some like oh. community outreach staff. Oh, hey, <laughs> I'm interested. Make that stuff Send me happen. an application. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe we could do a trade. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great to me. Let's have lunch and talk about it. <laughs> okay, that'll work. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, I uh, want to congratulate you. You know, Greedy City. Uh, Rep um, on on your new space. It it's it's just awesome. Um, I love I love the tears, <laughs> like you know, um, you know, in not the tears, but the um, the risers, I don't know what do you call it with the risers. Yeah, and I'm like, whoa, look at look at the flex theater. Like it's like it looks like a theater theater. I mean, like yes. risers. Like oh my god. Like whoa, where this? When did this happen? <laughs> That happened, like, hustling for about 40 hours in the month before the show. That's when that happened, Wanda. Impressive. <laughs> Myself and our artistic director, Alex, actually built those because our master carpenter hurt his back right Ooh. before he was supposed to start building them. So I actually built those risers, Wanda, with Alex Trono, who was running the light board. <laughs> wow, wow. Bonkers, That's amazing. But- but yeah. wasn't it a great view? Yes, yes. It's it's you know, when when there are risers, you're like, I'm in a theater. I mean, you know, when there are seats, you know, on one level, you know, maybe it's a salon. But <laughs> when there are risers, you know, um, you know, like this is a this is a theater theater, like, whoa, like it's official. So anyway. I love yeah. it. Thank you for saying that. It was a labor of love, but I totally agree, and I want everyone to be able to see. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, you can. It's very nice, and they're sturdy. <laughs> Even though we had oh, journeyman yeah. carpenters, right? <laughs> they weigh about yeah. a jillion pounds each. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Ooh, 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. Well, thank you so much. And, and Robert, thank you and your baby. Wow. Um, so quiet now. Is is your baby sleeping? Oh, no. I just kept meeting it. She wasn't, <laughs> she wasn't that quiet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she, she's a, <laughs> she just got the patch dryer right now because she's feeling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, let's tell. Is, is it a girl? Yeah, oh, it boy. is. Her name is Rihanna. Rihanna, we'll tell Rihanna. Yeah. Thank you so much for letting letting your dad, you know, participate in the conversation. We appreciate it. Rihanna <laughs> 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 is the best. She's the best lady. Uh. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, cool. Well. Good luck on the rest of your run, and I look forward to, um, you know, seeing your next work. And, yeah, let's talk, uh, Lindsay, about outreach. (laughs) Sounds great. Thank you. We'll definitely be in touch. Thank you so much for coming out and inviting us on. It's always a wonderful conversation, Wanda. Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Have a good rest of the day, both of you. You too. Thank you so much. You too. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Peace and blessings. So we're going to close out with Adimu Majun. We mentioned him, Wolf Hawk Jaguar. Uh, since we talked about Prosperity Movement uh, as one of the sponsors of the um, the upcoming um, tour of Roots 2000 um, in the Bay, uh, one is thinking about, well, let me just play Prosperity Movement just in case you don't remember it. How do I attain the lifestyle that I want to lead? Prosperity. Abundance. 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 We want it in abundance. Prosperity movement. Prosperity movement. Blessings are now. This is a prosperity movement. The time has come, the time is now, a movement of the people and a movement of like minds, the everlasting coconut tree has been found, the prosperity movement is now, leaving lower level chakra sound, ascending to the highest points on the crown, the crown is already bought and paid for, put it on, it's activated now, now behind the veil, removing the illusions, redefining wealth. Wrote it on the wall, we define wealth, and so it is. The beauty, the high animal spirits, songs of prosperous moments, so the gods will hear it. Be grateful, follow your bliss, use rituals of gratitude. How do I attain the lifestyle that I want to lead? Prosperity, abundance, abundance, abundance. We want it in abundance.
Prosperity Movement, and I want to remind folks that tonight um, the film Sneak Preview, We Cry Power in San Francisco tonight at the Redstone Building, 2640 16th Street, 6 to 8 p.m. There's going to be a discussion following the one-hour screening of the work in progress, We Cry Power, which looks at the... um, uh, the um, Poor People's Movement, um, inspired by uh, Dr. King's Poor People's um, March, and um, which happened after he passed, and the Poor People's Movement, which is uh, took his inspiration from um, the Moral Mondays, and sort of um, now leading up to the June twentieth, twenty twenty March on Washington, where people are going to be telling more of their stories. But this is. Um, uh Dr. um Pastor um William Barber and uh and uh, Pastor Theo Harris. Um and so anyway, the film screening is free, six to eight, and again is at the Redstone Building, twenty six forty sixteenth Street in San Francisco, and I'm sure you can access it. Um through the uh uh on BART and uh, and again the director uh Dara Kell was on my show yesterday. Um, morning So wanted to leave you with that And uh, tomorrow we're going to be playing a rebroadcast Of one of our shows I haven't decided yet which one But it's going to be great <laughs> um, Yeah I'm babysitting tomorrow So I won't be able to have a live show So you take good care Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Wanda's Picks Peace and blessings Well I want to remind folks again That Skip the Needle is going to be at the Ivy Room tonight um, with 
um, oh shoot, <laughs> I lost it again. Um, dang. Um, yeah, they're gonna be with. Um, let me tell you with whom in a minute. Um, cause I just had it and I just lost it. Um, Ivy Room schedule. <laughs> Oh yeah, Brown Fellinis. They're going on about ten thirty. Uh Coffee uh Brown Coffee Brown told me um she's the drummer. And she has a um she's dropping her tenth C D in April. That's gonna be awesome. Also at the Ivy Room. So we're gonna have her on to talk about this new project, new product that's gonna be available in a couple of months. So that's gonna be really awesome. And I wanted to play something for you all, but I just can't get it together right now. Um, but I'm looking at um, Sounds of Blackness, and I've got Unity um, in the uh, in the uh, in my um, my selections. So I think I'm gonna go out. Um, we were going out. I think I'm gonna go out with Unity. I would play something else, but oh, you know, we do have time because we came on at 8:30. Because I have this really great interview with uh, Cheryl Finley and Lee Rayford about blackness and belonging. Um, an exhibit that was at the Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive, and um, it was simply phenomenal. And this conversation with these two scholars was really great. So I think I'm going to play Unity, um, and uh, and then um, and then we'll just shift right into this interview with um, Cheryl Finley, Dr. Cheryl Finley, and Dr. Lee Rayford. Okay, and if you want to. <laughs> if you want to listen to the entire interview, I'm trying to think, when did I do this? It was last summer, so you'd have to look it up. I heard them say there was a dream, there was a dream for unity. We need you to see everywhere. 
And here is that interview. Enjoy. Good morning and welcome to Wanda Six, a black arts and cultural program with African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we are, we always have choices. We are never victims, but we should take a breath and look around, particularly looking within, and see what our options are and act accordingly. We are really excited to be having a special broadcast this morning uh, featuring two African-American women scholars, uh, Cheryl Finley. Uh, good morning, Cheryl. How are you? I'm really well, Wanda. Thank you so much for having us on today. Oh, you're welcome. And Dr. Um, Lee Rayford, um, are you with us too? Are you together on the same line? Oh, no. There she is right oh, there. I'm <laughs> uh, good morning, Dr. Rayford. How are you? Good morning. Doing well, thank you, Wanda. Thank you so much for having us. Oh yeah, thank you for for joining us. Um, considering your body's not in this time zone yet, so really appreciate it. Um, oh no, I'm, you're, you're, uh, yeah, you know. I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> super, super. Yeah, yeah. It's not every every day that you know we have um, two black women scholars on the air at the same time to talk about their work. Um, you know, this really wonderful exhibit uh, of all things loved, blackness, and belonging at the Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive presently through, um, what's the um, the exhibit, is, what are the dates? Um, it closes July 21st, um, so it's a, pretty, it's a fairly short run, um, but we're really excited about um, that it's at, we've had the opportunity to be at Berkeley Art Museum and um, there's been a really good response so far. We're so glad you came through, mm -hmm. Wanda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I appreciate, you know, the special um, you know, tour and um, you know, it's it's a really wonderful exhibit because it's um curated by, by students of yours and your colleague and yeah. uh, and there's some uh, guided tours uh, about things love, blackness and belonging. Um, you know, pretty you know, pretty extensive i mean like if you want a tour you probably can get one and and then next wednesday june 19th at noon there's a screening and discussion welcome to the neighborhood uh celebration of juneteenth with a short documentary exploring um mildred howard's family roots in the bay area and the impact of gentrification followed by a conversation with uh, miss howard who is 
Oh, my goodness, he is so esteemed and so wonderful. And uh, yes. And then you're going to have um, another, I guess, before closing on Saturday, July 13th from 11.30 to 1 and 1 to 2.30, you're going to have Gallery Studio Finding Form and Space in Black Abstraction. Maybe you could talk a little bit yes. about that um, a little bit later. And, um, and Cheryl, oh, my goodness, uh, we had you on earlier this year, like really earlier this year, um, to talk about the Heritage uh, African-American uh, Social History, um, the featuring Say It Loud, the John Silverstein Collection, and you were on with the collector and the uh, Heritage House um, uh, curator of this wonderful collection, and I was tuned in, and I didn't get anything, but it was still fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hear the yeah. Other things were, were taken up at that auction. Mhm. Yeah, it was really awesome. And you wrote a really wonderful essay for the catalog, and and then your book committed to memory, the art of the slave ship icon. Oh my goodness, it is. Wow, it's so well done, so well written, and it was really great, you know, to to see all three of you um, with um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on our artist uh, Andrew name Wilson. who was on. Right, right. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Who was on the uh, on the panel with you at the Museum of the African Diaspora to talk about just this, um, you know, this slave ship icon? And you moderated, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Rayford. How do you pronounce yeah. your first name? Lee. Lee. Okay. Cool. So. Um, I um, just want to read a little bit of both of your bios, and then we could just start talking about. Um, yeah, how you all met and what brings you to the work and your particular work that we just mentioned um, just now in my rambling kind of bio conversation. <laughs> so, um, so um, Lee, we'll start with you first, and then Cheryl, I'll read sure. yours. Okay. And I'm just pulling it from uh, African American Studies and African Diaspora Studies uh, from UC Berkeley. Um, that's where I'm reading from. If you're listening, you can okay. go and read along with me because I'm not going to read at all. <laughs> talking Please to our don't. listening audience. Yeah, but you teach some really interesting classes. Maybe you could talk about that too. Um, you are sure. as associate professor and H. Michael and uh, Jean Williams Chair of African American Studies at the University of California, Berkeley, where you also serve as affiliate faculty in the program in African, excuse me, in American Studies and the Department of Gender and Women's Studies. You received your Ph.D. from Yale University, uh, Yale University's Joint Program in African American Studies and American Studies in 2003. Before arriving at UC Berkeley in 2004, you were the Woodrow Wilson Postdoctoral Fellow at Duke University's John, Ho John Hope Franklin's uh, Center for Interdisciplinary and International Studies. You are the recipient of fellowships and awards from the American Council of Learned Societies, the Ford Foundation, the Mellon Foundation, the Woodrow Wilson Foundation, and the Hel Hel Hellman <laughs> Family Foundation. And you've also been a Fulbright Senior Specialist. Yes. Oh, what does that mean? Um, it just means it meant that I got to teach um, courses at um, German universities and French universities mm. for a period of about two weeks to a month. Each time, mm -hmm. it's pretty great. It's a it's a really great short term exchange program for professors. 
nice, nice, yeah. And you are the author of Imprisoned in a Luminous Glare, Photography and the African-American Freedom Struggle. Uh, that's University of North Carolina Press 2011, which was a finalist for the Berkshire Conference of Women Historians Best Book Prize. Congratulations. Nice. Thank you. Sure. And you're a co-editor with um, uh, Hinche? Heike. Heike Raphael, Raphael Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Okay, Heike uh, Raphael Hernandez of Migrating the Black Body, Visual Culture in the African Diaspora, and that's University of Washington Press, 2017. And that's sort of um, sort of real in concert with um, your work, uh, Cheryl. Um, sort of, it sounds like it anyway. <laughs> the visual well, culture. Cheryl's actually a really big part of um, migrating the black body and has extended. Oh. Um, so sure, well, I guess I should—I don't know if you want to do the larger introduction, yeah. but Cheryl and I have known each other for a very long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I definitely <laughs> think of, of Cheryl as one of my most important intellectual interlocutors. Mm-hmm. And you're my sister, Lee. <laughs> you're our sister. <laughs> so we, we've known each other since graduate school, and we were both in the same class in African American studies. And it was an interdisciplinary program at Yale. We were in the second class of students to be admitted into the interdisciplinary PhD. And my second mm-hmm. department was art history, whereas Lee's was in American studies. And I always mm-hmm. felt, and I think I've articulated this to you, Lee, that I always felt like I was an interloper or a wannabe in American studies. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, we've known each other for a long time and we've had lots of really great opportunities to collaborate and um and I would agree that in in terms of our intellectual work we are um we we have I think a very symbiotic relationship and interest in 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 many things um related to the black diaspora through visual culture and especially through photography and film and um and in terms of the the work um in committed to memory um, there are many mm-hmm. ways, as you can imagine, Wanda, when young scholars are coming up with ideas and formulating new projects that mm-hmm. their friends and colleagues um, help them out, sometimes in ways where they don't really even realize how important and impactful their contributions have been. And I, I want to just, you know, again, say a shout out to, to you, Lee, for being one of those people that's been so instrumental in, in helping this project not only in terms of its shape and form, but also in its ability to finally come to fruition. I mean, Cheryl, mm-hmm. I've learned so much from mm-hmm. you over the years. I mean, you're also, I also wanted to, to shout Cheryl out for when we were at Yale. Um, Cheryl was a founder, was the founder of um, a really important working group called the Photographic Memory Workshop. And it brought like all of her, um, you know, all of her knowledge and experience as a uh, as a pho- photography appraiser and a photo historian, um, but are really getting us to think through these questions about memory and what does you know what, what's the relationship between memory and photography, and you know, and that was just immeasurably important for how I was thinking about so- black social movement photography and civil rights mm-hmm. movement and black power. Um, but um, so to see, to be able to be in conversation at the Museum of the African Diaspora 
with Cheryl about her book, um, you know, in the last, this um, last month was, it just felt like so many things had come full circle. It really did. It really did. And to have Andrew there and to have been mm-hmm. introduced uh, to him um, through through his work. He is a, um, an artist who's, he's based in Berkeley, right, Lee? Uh, Berkeley, Richmond, yes, East Bay. Yes, Berkeley, Richmond, um, whom I I met through um, this evening conversation, uh, but he has been for some time uh, been working with the schematic of the slave ship icon in his work, which encompasses textile design, fashion design, jewelry, and other um, craft-based processes using fibers and, and metals. And I was just blown away, not only by the designed T-shirt that he wore that evening, displaying mm-hmm. his, um, his his artistry and, and his vision, but also in the way that he was able to um, speak uh, to the image and to the way in which he, through his work, is reclaiming it. Um, I was just really, really uh, excited about that opportunity. And I know that you've worked with Andrew in the past, too, right, Lee? He did, um, very briefly. I mean, he was um, he, he took part in a course I taught a couple of years ago, um, but it was, you know, as he was finishing his, his MFA thesis at UC Berkeley, which was um, in part was the fruit um, exhibition where he was creating the textiles, creating the work, and then created this fashion show um, and processional that went along with it. Um, but he is, he's, you know, uh, what's so exciting too, I think, is this the space between um, African American studies, art history, visual culture, um, Black history, Black diasporic history. Um, you know that people come; they bring so many skills and so much, so many ideas to to really thinking through, representing, um, and revisiting. You know our history. Um, and I think Andrew is, it, it was just a really great conversation to see the way that, um, particularly for this younger, younger emerging artist, um, how resonant the slave ship icon remains for him um, and how vital it is to his own practice. Mm-hmm. Right. Sorry, Wanda, right. have we hijacked you? <laughs> no, no, this is great because actually I had, my first thought was, why don't I just let them introduce themselves? Because you know, because <laughs> you you know you all are such great friends, and and then it's like, well, let me just do it the way I normally do it. And so no, no, I, this this was the plan anyway. Okay. So yeah, it worked out yeah. great. <laughs> hey, yeah. Can we? Can I just add one more thing that relates to one of the the questions that you asked? Um, Lee, that kind of turned mm-hmm. us uh, into into talking back and forth about about some yes, of our certainly. We, um, we uh, today are in the process of hopefully finalizing and finishing an article with our friend and mm-hmm. colleague who's based in Würzburg in Germany, Heike Raphael Hernandez, who's a scholar mm-hmm. of American oh. studies, mm-hmm. whom uh, Lee met uh, when she was visiting at Berkeley some years ago. And um, she's the co-author on uh, Migrating the Black Body with Lee. And also mm-hmm. um, she and I and, and Lee together 
um, were the recipients of a, an American Council of Learned Societies a collaborative faculty grant that enabled us um, that enabled us to work together over the period of uh, two. I would say it's now going on three years, right, Lee? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Years. Yeah, on on black women and, and migration in um, in visual art, in contemporary visual art, and it took us to um, conferences in uh, Mainz in Germany, um, but also uh, to do some research in, in Dakar at Dakar in uh, 2016, the the um, exhibition of contemporary African art um, in Senegal, and um, it's an extension of the work that Lee and Heike began for a conference that they planned at the Volkswagen, the VW Foundation in Hanover, Germany in 2015, um, that was sort of the, the crystal for uh, the ultimate production of Migrating the, the Black Body. And this coming July, we're embarking on um, another collaboration uh, with the generosity of the VW Foundation um, at their uh, residence in Hanover um, for another project um, that we're going to be doing together with uh, contemporary artists uh, from the diaspora globally, coming from Africa, from uh, Brazil, uh, the U.S., and also parts of Europe. So we're we're excited, and I think if if you don't mind me speaking for you, Lee, one of the things that we no, do well together, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that we do well together, that, and, and that we like to do is to to have the chance to collaborate and to think not only. Um, you know, within and across our disciplines, but to be able to work together. And I think in the end, it always um, ends up being a, you know, a, a much more um, accessible uh, finished mm-hmm. product. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And, and, I, and I just want to mention just sort of the round out um, your bio, um, Cheryl, is that um, you, you are at a, Cornell um, University presently, and you are the Associate Professor of Art History. Um, you are um, an Associate Professor of Art History, and you hold a PhD in African American Studies and History and of Art from Yale, and you have over 20 years of award-winning research in, on historic and contemporary images of the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, your seminal study committed to memory, which we're going to speak about today, and we are speaking about the art of the slave ship icon. Uh, is available from Princeton University. The monograph is the first in-depth study of the most famous image associated with the memory of slavery, um, a schematic engraving of a packed slave ship hold and the art, architecture, poetry, and film it has inspired since its creation in Britain in 1788. Another of your works, also published this year, um, uh, I guess last year, <laughs> was My Soul Has Grown Deep, Black Art from the American South at Yale University Press 2018. And it accompanies the exhibition History Refused to Die, highlights from the Souls Grown Deep Foundation at the Metro- Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York through September 23rd, 2018. Um, and you've got a whole lot more. People can visit you, your bio online. Um, but I was wondering if we could just jump into the work now. We could talk about, you know, the exhibit um, that your students uh, curated, Lee, and, um, oh, sure. uh, and the whole idea of just the whole idea of we're talking about memory, right? And we're thinking about the memory is black people, you know, enslaved, and that is not the, that is not the only reality about 
people of African mm-hmm. descent, but that is the main one here in the West, you know, and we, when children go to school still when they're studying history, that's all that comes up for when you do a search on <laughs> on what they're learning about themselves. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we think about, you know, the whole idea of, of love and memory mm-hmm. and belonging and place, and we think about, okay, well, how do we document this in museums, right? Like so, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, they have that exhibition currently um, just sort of uh, critiquing the idea of collection and what, you know, things get collected, but things that are collected are sometimes things are collected to pull them out of circulation, not necessarily to display. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, just mm-hmm. sort of your thoughts around around this, you know, the work that you have done and are doing. Sure. Um, so the the exhibition about things love, blackness, and belonging um, it emerged from a, a co-taught class um, with my colleague Lauren Croys at UC Berkeley, um, and it was funded uh, by the Mellon Foundation, which wants to sort of had two purposes: one, to um, teach students um, hands-on kind of curatorial. Uh, work and practice, um, but also the Mellon Foundation has recognized how um, really just how white the field of museums, the museum profession is. And, you know, and we've seen that, and I know Cheryl can talk about this pretty extensively because this is um, part of her next project as well. Um, but we know that museum collections themselves are, um, you know, predominantly uh, white male artists. There are very few women, let alone women of color. Um, There are very few black people and people of color working as curators in museums um, or let alone running museums. Um, And that has obviously reflects in the kinds of shows um, exhibits that um, museums put on, as well as in the way um, black folks feel um, that they do or don't belong within the museum setting. And it was, you know, it's, um, so part of, as we were thinking, our students were thinking through the um, what the show might be. We started uh, last August planning this, um, you know, not just thinking about um, you know, how might we think about broad themes of exile, migration, diaspora, um, but how can we, um, and how can we show work in the Berkeley Art Collections that you know, hasn't, haven't been seen? The Berkeley Art Museum um, has actually a really, some really amazing works by very well-known African-American artists from Romeo Bearden to Carrie Mae Weems to Lorna Simpson, Fred Wilson, um, and, uh, and others, um, but also how can we make the museum a more welcoming, welcoming place to, um, to, to our surrounding community, to black community, um, black community in the Bay Area, and also on campus. Um, so, you know, we met with black faculty and uh, staff organizations. We met with uh, African-American students, Office of African-American Student Development, and, you know, we found that a lot of black staff, for example, um, had never gone to the Berkeley Art Museum. Um, they didn't feel mm-hmm. welcome there. Or they didn't feel it spoke to them. 
Um, and, you know, even though it, museum admission is free with a, you know, a Berkeley ID, right? Um, mm -hmm. So this, this became part of the thinking around the show. And so largely the question is how does, you know, for us is how does, how, what are the many ways in which blackness and black people, black culture um, have been made to, what ways do they belong to the museum or can they belong in the museum? Um, and so that, that became, um, that was sort of the guiding question for the show. And you know, we, the students um, explore that in five sections, thinking about the, the different ways that blackness, um, blackness belongs within the so museum. One of the things, I was gonna say, one of the things that you, you point out, Lee, um, when, you, <laughs> when you just mentioned some of the the sections of the exhibition, this idea of belonging and your discussion with students and faculty and the fact that students hadn't really gone to the museum even though that it's free. I think that part of this larger issue that your exhibition is exploring and part of mm -hmm. the larger issue that the Mellon study pointed out in 2015 is that it's not just about the fact that many of these institutions don't have black museum directors, don't have black curators, don't have black registrars, don't exhibit mm -hmm. works by black artists and don't have them in their collections. It's also that people who live right in the neighborhoods where these museums are don't feel welcome because there isn't anything in the museum that looks like them, that makes them That's right. want to come into the museum. So I, I just want to, again, applaud you and your students for for you know, taking this head on at, at the university. And I really hope that it leads to not just one exhibition, but also a series of exhibitions that helps to bring out some of these many works that are there and available um, for people to actually see, but that haven't seen um, the light of day for some time. Yeah, thank you, yes. I mean, that was, that was I think, also what was so surprising for so many of us, for us as well, was you know, I think a lot of us expected that the museum wouldn't have, that the collection would be, you know, really limited, that we wouldn't have a lot to work with, right, as we um, were curating a show exclusively out of Berkeley's um, permanent collections. Um, but I think what, what we found instead was that there was, there's actually, a, you know, a, a, a sizable, um, a sizable collection, but mm -hmm. but also it's the work of imagining different narratives um, and what kind of stories can we bring to, and structures can we bring to the museum gallery that make this work legible and visible. So thinking about um, you know histories of of the transatlantic slave trade, um, thinking about the history of um, you know history of, of abstraction uh, and how artist, black artists working in the vein of abstraction um, are maybe only re re until recently getting a kind of framework in which their, their contribution to the history of abstract expressionism um, can be understood. Um, so there's all sorts of think, you know, thinking also more expansively and imaginatively about what kind, what it means for black, um, black curators, black professionals, 
um, or people who are and are and their allies to tell these kinds of stories. Right. And can I interject? Mm-hmm. Um, I just I got an email from um, uh, one one of my my dearest uh, friends um, and scholars that we've all collaborated with, uh, Lee from Dr. Deborah Willis. Yeah. So the, it was it was an article from Hyperallergic that was sent to her from another one of our collaborators, and it was on this very topic about representation. Um, and mm-hmm. the, the headline of the article is: Art, Artists in 18 major U.S. museums are 85% white and 87% male. Study says. And so this is a study that was conducted by scholars at Williams College, um, along with. Um, uh, um, Stephen Nelson, who's at uh, UC mm-hmm. uh, and, um, and in this study, which had uh, you know, a number of um, rigorous metrics applied, um, they said um, that it paints a somber picture of the lack of parity in museum collections. The study found that 85.4% of the works in the collections of all major U.S. museums belong to white artists, and 87, 87.4% are by men. African-American artists have the lowest share with just 1.2% of the works. Asian artists, and Hispanic and Latino artists, constitute 2.8% of the artists. And it also goes on to mention the, um, how you know, this particular study follows up on um, other recent studies, including the one that was conducted by the Mellon Foundation that you, um, that you mentioned, Lee, and that I think is you know, really the, the jumping off point for the initiatives that they've had recently in um, trying to diversify um, the museum professions. And that study took place in, um, in 2015. And just a, a quote from that um, that's published here in the article says, quote, while previous work has investigated the demographics of museum staff and visitors, the diversity of artists and their collections has remained unreported, end quote. So um, again, I think it's just so exciting um, that you and your students have have you know taken this head on at, at Berkeley. Um, Thanks. It, uh, oh, go ahead. No, go on. No, I was just going to say. I mean, I think what also you know I came to to curating and frankly to art his to the history of art kind of side through this side door, right? And thinking about hmm. black stories and black narratives and what that means to represent those visually. And one of the things that I think is so powerful about Cheryl's work about, and particularly about Committed to Memory, is that it gives us, to me, I feel like it it offers this, a little bit of a, I don't wanna say rewriting, but a new lens through which to understand black people's engagement with art history and 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 with with our history um and so i mean the, the because the book starts you know in the late 1700s with the schematic that was you know deeply invested in um transforming the transatlantic slave trade um, whether abolishing the slave trade and eventually abolishing slavery um and then thinking about how generations of black artists and their allies has um, returned to this image over and over again 
Cheryl really provides us a different kind of narrative of art history. And I think that that's, you know, I think it's a way also in which, um, you know, different people can see themselves and their histories reflected, again, within, within art history as a discipline, um, but also within the museum, museum in, itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, I know it's funny sometimes you know how it is you get so close to things it's hard to really see what what they do or, or you never know when you release a book into the world what it's what it's capable of doing or what it already has done um, especially mm -hmm. one that 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 seemed it, it took it took a long time to write you know right. um, the world um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering, um, yeah, I'm really, really happy, Lee, that you spoke about what brought you to the work. And um, I want to let our audience know that um, that the exhibit um, that, that we're speaking of presently um, of, about things love, blackness, and belonging um, is, uh, again, divided into five areas. The areas are roots and roots, roots and roots. <laughs> or routes, um, R-O-O-T-S and R-O-U-T-E-S, so it's kind of cool, um, blackness as be as belonging, and then on collecting and belonging, uh, embodiment and materiality, abstraction, and then on blackness and belonging. So as you walk through the, um, the exhibition, these particular um, topics are like organizing, your art is organized around these particular themes, um, connected to the overall theme and um and and it's really the the artists that um are represented you know are are pretty phenomenal and then there are some artists that um one hasn't seen in a while um the work so it's great mm -hmm. that they're being sort of excavated so to speak and and one of the I really like um maybe you could speak to it as well um Lee Mm -hmm. um, after Cheryl has a chance to talk a little bit about her book, but you know the mission statement where where you look at sort of uh, decolonizing institutions and mm -hmm. and you know and liberating voices that are in you know in the basement you know or attic or mm -hmm. story spaces mm -hmm. of these places, so we do exist, but then you know mm -hmm. once again the, you know these particular this art is not circulating it's not being mm -hmm. uh, shown anywhere and a lot of times it might be the only one of something which means that if it's not mm -hmm. being shown and no one knows it exists then how can someone borrow it to show in another uh, institution mm -hmm. so it's like, hmm, just like taking black folks work out of circulation completely is that is that sort of like um, sort well, of a like way to disappear us Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, mm -hmm. I, I would say it's like it's being held hostage, and I so I just saw yeah. you all yeah. in, in 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 different time zones, and uh, and I know I saw you <laughs> you the both of you. What was it? Not even two weeks ago, probably. Mm -hmm. um, that we, yeah. that I was there, but since then, um, in in it was just returned from Paris and from from London um, on a, mm. a tour with students from Spelman College where I'll be teaching in, mm. in the fall and leading a new program in art history and curatorial studies. But one of the things mm. that that we were talking about is this very issue, Wanda, in the, um, with curators like Zoe Whitley and mm -hmm. um, who's at the Hayward Gallery in London and 
Mark Seeley, who did autographs um, in London, mm -hmm. and also um, the curator um, Denise Morell, um, who uh, curated an exhibition that's currently on view in, in Paris at the Musée d'Orsay called Les Modèles Noirs, um, which was the topic of her PhD thesis at Columbia, where she looked at um, all of the really important Impressionist paintings um, from France from the 19th century and noticed how there were um, frequently um, pictured in these paintings images of black men and women uh, models in the painting, and they were often never identified. And even if it were a portrait of mm -hmm. one of the individuals themselves, they weren't named. They were just a black mm. person wearing a turban or something like that. And mm -hmm. what she ended up doing right. was this really groundbreaking and phenomenal exhibition, which I think um, really aligns very well with what you've done at Berkeley, Lee, is she's gone in and done the research to find out who these people were, where mm -hmm. they lived, and what mm -hmm. their names were, and identified them and brought them together with a number of works in the exhibition. But one of the other things I wanted to say, too, is that I've been working on a project called um, The Light of Day, which is a new exhibition slash book project that is about this very topic that, you know, one of the images for in my book, which is on the cover, a work by an artist named Malcolm Bailey, who is based in New York. Um, it's an untitled work uh, from 1969 that's sort of a minimalist uh, 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 take on um, one of the 19th century engravings that were used by abolitionists who were at this time after the slave trade had been abolished, trying to publicize the cases of illegal slave trading and they used illustrations that were based on 19th century ships that had different, different um, sort of uh, naval architectural lines, if you will. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is this painting by Bailey was purchased by the Whitneys in 1969. Mm. It was on mm. view maybe in 1969, 1970 when it was purchased. And it hasn't seen the light of day since the Whitney right. reopened in New York in 2015. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's absolutely, it's scandalous. It is absolutely crazy. Yep. And so the yep. show that I'm working on, and Lee, I think we should collaborate, you know, and maybe we need to go mm -hmm. around institution to institution yeah. in the cities and towns in this country and abroad and to say, you need to, you know, we need to look at what you have and pull these works out and let people mm -hmm. see 